This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, Real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, and of course, you guys know it, I'm all by myself, back for another primetime podcast, and before I get into the whole spiel of what I'm talking about today and what to promote before each segment, I gotta apologize to you guys, because ever since the Brandon leaving the primetime podcast, um, me moving in kind of this home studio so I don't have to always travel to the studio that we kind of use for the MVP normal podcast. Been a little bit inconsistent with the recordings of these primetime podcasts, looking to get more into that schedule starting this week. So coming back the normal, usual time um, for the primetime podcast was right now, right now, right now on Tuesday. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I'm sorry to you guys who expect me and kind of come to us for the college football coverage and the draft coverage that we provide here on the Primetime Podcast. But got a jam-packed show. Going to be looking at the Wisconsin Badgers lost to my fighting Illini. What up? Did I expect them to win? No, I didn't expect them to win at all. When Sean told me the score, I thought it was 40-7 to because that's usually what happens to Illinois. But we finally got a win, our biggest win since 2007 when we beat Ohio State. I'm going to talk about that, what it means for the Big Ten race, kind of the race in the West and the East. And then also what it means for the college football playoff, because that's going to shake things up in the college football playoff. Also going to take a look at Joe Burrow and his draft stock. Is he all hype? Is he for real? Could he be a top five pick? I'm going to go ahead and take a look at that, especially with how the Tua injury might also fit into that. And then last but not least, I'm taking a look at the Atlanta Falcons. Last time I did a primetime podcast took a look at the Miami Dolphins, and you guys seem to like that. So I'm going to take a look at the Falcons right now. They would be, I think, a top three pick. I think it's the Bengals, the Dolphins, the Falcons, the Redskins, and then the Jets after tonight's loss to the Patriots. I'm recording this during the fourth quarter, and the Jets are going to lose. No way they're going to come back and win that one. So I'm going to take a look at the Falcons and which prospects they could look at if they end up with a top five pick at the end of the year. Before I get into everything, though, make sure to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com backslash most of our podcasts. That is how you help support the channel. Make sure that we can do things better for you guys coming at you with weekly podcasts. You can join our Discord server, our Discord, yeah, Discord server for as low as a dollar. You can suggest topics and ask your questions to the podcast for us to answer at the $5 tier. And then the $10 tier, that is where you come on the podcast with us and we talk about what you would like to talk about. But let's get into the Wisconsin loss. And like I said, my final line, I get in the wind. Did I expect him to do it? Hell no. I expected us to get steamrolled by Wisconsin, but I am happy that my fighting line, I get the win against the Wisconsin Badgers. And this kind of a loss for Wisconsin shakes things up, not just in the college football race or the college football playoff race, but it shakes things up in the Big Ten right now. Because right now, as I'm looking at the standings in the East, it's kind of a two-team race right now. You got 
Ohio State undefeated. You got Penn State undefeated. Michigan losing to Penn State is now a two-loss team. They're pretty much out of it at this point. And then in the West, this kind of makes things a little bit more interesting because Wisconsin already has a loss. They're going to have some interesting games coming up on their schedule. But not only that, you have Iowa, who's a two-loss team in the conference right now. They now, hey, with uh, Wisconsin losing, hey, maybe if we beat Wisconsin, we get our hat back into the ring for this Big Ten title. And then, of course, you have Minnesota, who to me is surprisingly at 7-0, undefeated in the conference at 4-0. But I'm going to get into them in a second, where really in the East, this doesn't impact the East too much in my mind, because the the East is going to come down to Ohio State and Penn State. And even if, let's say, this weekend, because Ohio State and Wisconsin play each other, let's say Wisconsin goes into Columbus, goes into the horseshoe, and upsets the Buckeyes. Even if the Buckeyes lose that game, the Buckeyes could just beat the Penn State Nittany Lions on November 23rd, and boom, all is forgiven. They'll have one loss. Of course, they'd have to beat Michigan and Rutgers and Maryland um, to do that. They would only need that one loss to be Wisconsin. But really, I see that Penn State-Ohio State game being the game that decides it between the two East opponents. This loss, though, shakes up the West in the Big Ten so much because the remaining schedule for the Badgers right now, they this weekend, I already mentioned it, they go into Ohio State the 26th of October. They will be in Ohio State, the undefeated Buckeyes playing right after they lost to Illinois. I'll be completely honest. I'm not buying the Badgers in this one. I'm betting the Buckeyes. So I'm thinking the Buckeyes are going to win this game. Badgers, I'll be honest, but this loss, I think the season's kind of over for them because I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. Iowa, they could still win. Um, I know because it's a home game. Um, I think that one is still a close game, but the Badgers could come out with it. And honestly, I am not buying the Minnesota Golden Gophers. I'm going to get into their schedule when I get to them. But I just I think with this Illinois loss, the Wisconsin Badgers are done because really the only loss that I had for them on their schedule in the preseason, if they were going to win the West, was this Ohio State game. And now they're probably going to have two losses. And, you know, Minnesota, even let's say they beat Minnesota, if Minnesota goes undefeated until that very last game, that's November 30th, that those two teams play, if Minnesota goes into that game undefeated, it's going to be not a mattering or not a big game because Wisconsin will have two losses in the conference if the Buckeyes do get it done. I know I'm talking like that game has happened already, but I just I see no chance. The Buckeyes are on such a roll that I think the only team that has a chance to beat them in the Big Ten is Penn State. I know Penn State looked really good against Michigan, and I know what you're saying, Ricky, it's a Harbaugh team. Michigan, it was a Michigan looking bad, Penn State looking good. I think Penn State's the only team in this conference that has a chance to beat Ohio State. I think they will be the ones to probably come out of the Big Ten, and it's probably going to be undefeated. Then you look at Minnesota, that team that right now is 
at the top of the Big Ten. And I look at them, and I'm going to be completely honest. I ain't buying the Golden Gophers. And the reason why, their wins right now, I'm just going to list them off in case you're like, Ricky, I haven't been watching much Minnesota football. Let me know who they've played. Well, they won by seven points to uh, South Dakota State. Really tough opponent there. Um, Then they went on the road to Fresno State. It took double overtime, and they won 38-35. Yet again, real tough opponent there. Tougher than uh, South Dakota State, but a really tough opponent there. Um, Then Georgia Southern, they won 35-32. Again, real tough opponent. I'm loving this tough schedule from the uh, Golden Gophers. Then they played Purdue, 38-31. Big 10 games, I'm not really going to get into schedule. We all know the West is weaker than the East. We're going to move on from that. Then they play Illinois. They thrashed Illinois 40-17. to That one was in Minnesota. Then they played Nebraska yet again at home in Minnesota. Beat them 34-7. to And then they played Rutgers this past week. On the road, they won 42-7. to My point being, and I know Minnesota fans, the beginning when I was talking about your non-conference schedule, I was going to turn you off there. And I apologize for that, but really I don't because to me the biggest criticism I have for Minnesota is who have you played? You haven't played anybody. Purdue hasn't been that good this year. Illinois has been trash except for this win against Wisconsin. And really I'm looking at it and the only reason we pretty much beat Wisconsin in my mind is this was the type of team, the Wisconsin team, how they're built. This was the one offense that Lovey's defense is built to beat. So it put us into a good situation. Now, I know the players had to make the plays and they ended up doing it. And that's part of the battle as well. But I mean, really, we're not just because we beat Wisconsin. We're not a world beater type of team. Rutgers, not a not a good football team like they've always been bottom of the Big Ten. And then Nebraska, they're probably your toughest opponent, I would say, that you've had on your schedule so far. But if you look at the schedule coming up for Minnesota, this next week, it's still another easy one. They expect them to go 8-0. And you know what? I'm going to say it's not that easy. I'm going to backtrack that comment. I expect them to go 8-0. But who knows? The team that they play in Maryland could come out and upset them. That could be a loss but I think the Golden Gophers will still win. Then it gets tough from there because you've got to go, yes, it's at home, but you're playing Penn State. I don't think Minnesota wins that game. I have the Nittany Lions winning that one on, what, November 9th? God, November 9th is going to be a good weekend in college football. Um, I got Penn State winning that one. Then they have to go on the road to Iowa City to play the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's going to be a tough game because you're playing on the road. Then you got Northwestern, which could go either way, but sure, I'll give it to Minnesota because you guys have played better this year. And then you end the year November 30th against that Wisconsin team. Yes, it's in Minnesota, which helps you out. But I look at it and I just, to myself, I think, number one, season's going to come down in my mind to that Wisconsin-Minnesota game. And I don't think Minnesota is going to be the team to come out of it. Because in order for Minnesota to do that, they would have to run the table. Like, run the table until the Wisconsin game, and I don't have them winning against Penn State. And if they lose against 
the Iowa Hawkeyes, in my mind, they're out because I don't have them beating Wisconsin as well. So that's why I'm not really in on the Gophers. Now, you may be saying, Ricky, what about, wait, what does that mean for Wisconsin then? If Wisconsin can get back into the Big Ten title game, I'll get there in a second. Patience, young Padawans. Um, I got to talk about one team first, Iowa. Their remaining schedule, Northwestern, should be a win for the Hawkeyes. Then they go into Madison. That's going to be a tough one, like I mentioned, with the Wisconsin side. That's going to be a tough game. It, since it's in Madison, you'd like to edge the needle a little bit towards the Wisconsin Badgers because up until this past week, they've looked like the better team. Then they play Minnesota. Then they have Illinois, which I guess anything can happen. But let's be honest, Illinois was playing at home. It was homecoming week. There were a lot of things that tilted into the side of this upset, if you really do think about it. And then they've got Nebraska. So for me, I think that Iowa's going to be out. They're going to probably lose to Wisconsin. They'll beat Minnesota, but they'll have too many losses in conference. Here's the way I see the Big Ten playing out with this loss. And that's going to kind of bring us into the college football playoff side of this. And the way I see it in the East, it's going to come down Penn state, Ohio state. If you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say Ohio state wins the East on the other side. I think that right now, if I had to say it, Iowa loses to Wisconsin, which writes them off. They have three losses in conference they're not going to make the Big Ten title game with three losses. Wisconsin, I think, can win out the rest of their... Eh, I, I won't say win out. They're going to lose to... They could lose to Ohio State, win out from there, which would put them at two conference losses. Then you've got Minnesota. I think they lose to Penn State. That's one. And I think they lose to Wisconsin, and that's two, which would put them the same amount of losses as Wisconsin, but it would let Wisconsin into that Big Ten title game. So how I see the Big Ten rolling out, Wisconsin, you're probably looking for, like, Ricky, what's our playoff hopes? They're dead. Like, unless you guys win out, they're dead. Because if you lose to Ohio State this weekend – Yank getting into the playoffs with two losses. I'm sorry. So in my mind, I could see a two loss Wisconsin team winning the West, getting into the big 10 title game, getting a rematch with the Ohio state Buckeyes. And then from there, it's what does that game mean? That one game mean for the playoff? Well, if Ohio state wins goes undefeated, they're probably in the playoff. Otherwise, If Wisconsin, a two-loss Wisconsin team, beats Ohio State, then that means the Big Ten's probably not being represented in the college football playoff. Because let's move over into that last part um, to kind of end this and put a kibosh on it. The top, I'll give the top seven. So, no, the top six. The four that would be in the playoff right now. I know they're not college football playoff rankings. It's just the AP top 25. Um, I'll give the top six because that'll be the four in the two out. And then I'll kind of give my thoughts moving forward. Um, Number one, obviously Alabama, number two, LSU, they stay the same. 
Clemson and Ohio State flipped this week. Ohio State's third. Clemson is fourth. So if the playoffs were to start today, if we use this, Clemson would play Alabama. Ohio State would play LSU. Then the two teams to kind of just be out of it, you've got Oklahoma at five, Penn State at six. Let me talk about the the teams that are out of it. Penn State, once they lose to Ohio State, they're out of the running. Then you look at Clemson, then you look at Ohio or you look at Oklahoma in my mind, and Oklahoma, if you look at their schedule, they should win out. However, look at the strength of their schedule in my mind. That's gonna be something that I think that plays into it because I mean their best win in my opinion has been Texas. But Texas, they to me have been kind of although they have two losses. And one's against LSU. That looks like a really good loss. And then Oklahoma is a good loss as well. This is a team that West Virginia took them to the brink. Wes Miles in Kansas almost beat them this weekend. So all Texas needs is one bad loss, and that's bad on Oklahoma. Oklahoma the rest of the way, the Thundercats of Kansas State. I know they're Wildcats, I like calling them the Thundercats. Their only ranked opponent right now is ISU, Iowa State, but that could change by the time that they get there if Iowa State... Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about Baylor. Um, The Iowa State, they're 23, so if they lose for some reason, boom, they can get knocked out of the rankings. That means Baylor is their only ranked opponent left. I see Oklahoma going undefeated, and then at that point, just putting their resume into the hands of... The committee, Alabama LSU, that's going to be a big one because the S. I think that the SEC race, there's going to be two conferences that decide the college football playoff in my mind this year. One's going to be the Big Ten, like I said, because if Wisconsin can beat in Ohio State this week or if Wisconsin or Minnesota or anybody can beat a Ohio State or even a Penn State, this season or in the Big Ten title game, that'll obviously shake things up, especially the Big Ten title game one because that loss is coming so late in the year. It's coming right before that committee makes their final vote to where I feel like the other one is the SEC, where if you look at the standings of the SEC right now, I think it's literally the polar same. Eh, I wanted to say, like, is that even a thing? Polar same? Kind of like polar opposites? It's like the identical same. It's identical, I should say, to the Big Ten. Words this late at night while I'm recording this. Kind of hard to say. Um, Because you got two top caliber teams rated higher than Ohio State and Penn State. But in the West for the SEC, you got Alabama LSU 1-2. On the other side, Florida's got a loss. Georgia's got a loss. Missouri, what, they're the third best team? They've already got a loss. Those teams might not be sniffing the playoffs. So, I mean, what I think will happen, and this is my mindset of it, if I want to go team by team really quick to give you a synopsis of how I feel at this point after this past week of college football, if I look at Alabama... Really, it comes down to me. 
could Auburn beat Alabama? Yes. Yeah, it's in Alabama. Or yeah, it's in or at Auburn this year. Iron Bowl is usually a tough one. Coin toss it because um, of that rivalry is so fierce. I'm going to say that the only loss I could see Alabama taking is LSU because there's a possibility that Tua doesn't play in that LSU game. And if Tua doesn't play in that LSU game, I'm siding with the Tigers 110%. Like, if Tua's not playing against Joe Burrow, I expect Joe Burrow to have a really good game. Not Maybe not 5-4 touchdown good, but two touchdowns, no interceptions, beats the Crimson Tide without Tua on the field. And obviously, whoever loses that game, in my mind, is sitting at home, not playing in the SEC title game. LSU, I look at it, they've got Auburn this weekend, but it's at home. So I'll favor the LSU Tigers um, at home this week against Auburn. However, that one could be a sneaky upset special. Really, for them, it's the same thing. It comes down to that Alabama game. And whoever wins that game is playing for the SEC title. And I think whoever plays in that SEC title, even if if it's against Florida, if it's against a Georgia, I think they win that game. However... Whoever lose, there's a possibility whoever loses that game could benefit more than the winner if that winner loses to, let's say they play Georgia and they lose to Georgia. That is going to spiral, especially if it's a one-loss Georgia team and they're knocking on the door. That's going to create chaos, but I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama and LSU both made the playoffs, especially if one was the SEC crown. The other one, the only loss was to the number one team in the nation. Because let's be honest, if LSU wins out, they're going to be number one. If Alabama wins out, they're going to be number one as well. Then you look at Clemson. Like, they're a team I know I've talked to people, and they've said, well, there's a chance that an undefeated Clemson team doesn't make the playoffs. And the thing I think you got to look at with Clemson is, in my mind at the end, Who's got a tougher schedule? Because if I had to predict the playoff right now, I would say LSU number one, just because I think LSU is going to win that Alabama game because I don't think Tua is going to play right now. If Tua plays, ask me the week before. It may change to Alabama. But at this moment, I'm going to say LSU. They'll be number one. Then number two, I'm going to say Ohio State. I think they win out. I think they win the Big Ten. They'll be the number two team in the nation at the end of it. Number three, I'm going to put Clemson slash Oklahoma. I'll get to that in a hot second. Um, Then number four, I mean, I'd put Alabama then because if Alabama's only loss is to LSU, I mean, that's really close to being perfect and really you lost to the best team in the nation. So I would, yeah, I would do what we saw a couple, a couple years ago and have LSU at one Alabama at four. That would mean five would be Clemson slash Oklahoma. I'll get to that in a second. Cause whoever's not three is going to be five. And then six would probably be, probably like a Notre, if Notre Dame wins out, it could be like a Notre Dame. It could be a, I don't think it's an SEC team because they would have two losses. Um, It'll probably be like a, let me look at the rankings really quick. 
um, yeah, like a Notre Dame or even like a Penn State. So like a Notre Dame or a Penn State, somebody who didn't play in that title game. Notre Dame doesn't have one. Um, that's a one loss team on their side because Penn State, I think, could be in the same situation that Alabama could be in. Like one loss, they lost to Ohio State. And that could be even an argument and why people might push again for an 18 playoff because Penn State will have only one loss and they're getting knocked out. And people say, well, it should be Alabama because LSU is ranked higher than Ohio State. I'm just trying to predict storylines at this point. Um, The last thing of this, that Clemson-Oklahoma discussion of that third spot, third and fifth, I think that's going to be the main debate of the playoff teams. LSU, Alabama will be in 1-4. Ohio State undefeated is at 2. The question is, who's got the better resume for number 3? An undefeated Clemson team who, let's be completely honest, the ACC has not been a tough schedule this year, and especially the rest of the way for Clemson. They've got Boston College. They've got Walford. Wofford? Is it Wofford? Wofford. The Terriers. NC State, who hasn't been anything this year. 25 Wake Forest, who they might not even be 25 when that game happens. And then South Carolina, who, let's be honest, the way they played Georgia and the way they played Florida, I wouldn't be surprised if that was an upset in South Carolina to where I almost feel like Oklahoma would get in above Clemson and Boy, would that be a discussion. Would that be kind of ground-shaking in college football if an undefeated Oklahoma got into the playoff over an undefeated Clemson? And then it comes into the debate also is, I know I'm putting Clemson against Oklahoma, but and I'm going to pitch this to you guys for the question. Let's say it maps out like this. LSU's undefeated. Ohio State's undefeated. Clemson and Oklahoma, both undefeated. They win their conference championships. They don't have a single loss. If I'm putting LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma for that fourth spot, if you choose Oklahoma over Clemson and Clemson gets bumped down, are you choosing undefeated Clemson or are you choosing one loss Alabama? Because I'm going with schedule. I'm going that Alabama played more tougher teams. They would have had a tough team in Auburn who if they lose to LSU might fall a little bit from nine, but it'll still be a ranked team and a really good team. And they would have played number two LSU who would have ended up number one in this scenario. They have a common opponent of Texas A&M. This is Clemson and um, Alabama. And of course, besides that, those are really the only Big three tough games for Alabama. I would pick Alabama in that situation, even with one loss. But what would you think? Would you put Clemson in at number four? Because, they're hey, they're undefeated. Alabama is not undefeated. Um, and also, Clemson would be a conference champion. Alabama would not. And Clemson would kind of be facing almost the same fate that Ohio State faced the last time this happened, where Alabama was a lo- one-loss team that made the fourth seed. So one last time, my prediction at this point of how things are going to play out with the Wash- with the Wisconsin loss, LSU is going to be number one. 
Ohio State will be two, both of them undefeated. An undefeated Oklahoma team at three, a one-loss Alabama team at four, an undefeated Clemson team at five, and then at six, I'll put Penn State. Penn State, Notre Dame, whichever one you think. I'll lean Penn State, but if you want to put Notre Dame there, um, if they win out, I could see them being a prime candidate to be um, that sixth team in the nation. But obviously, this is where you guys come in. Let me know what you guys are thinking. How does this affect the, in your mind, how do you see the rest of the Big Ten playing out because of this upset loss that Illinois had over Wisconsin? And how do you think the college football playoff now is going to shake out because of this loss? Let me know what you guys are thinking, obviously, down below in that comment section. And let's move into the next topic here on the podcast, and that is Joe Burrow and his NFL draft stock. Before we get into it, I'm going to pitch my Twitter. Go ahead and follow me at Ricky Widmer on Twitter. Reason why is for this draft coverage this week, I will be dropping my first big board of the season on mostvaluablepodcast.com. We're doing big boards a little bit differently this year. They're going to be articles compared to full podcasts. So go ahead, follow me on Twitter at Ricky Widmer. As soon as it posts, I'm going to put a link up there. So you're going to want to follow me to know when that goes live and also bookmark mostvalpodcast.com. So you know when it posts on the website. But we're taking a look at Joe Burrow. And I'll be honest, if I would have done this last week, the title of this video on YouTube would have was going to be vastly different because um, originally it was, oh, can he be a top 10 pick? Then I thought to myself, well, why don't I ask the question, could he be a top five pick? And then I just said, and pardon my language here, but I just said, fuck it. Could Joe Burrow be the number one overall pick? Like, let's go balls of the wall here. Let's have this discussion right now because the hype machine is going crazy for Joe Burrow. So why not? Let's not feed like why not feed into that hype machine? Why not have this discussion now? And I know there's some people out there that'll just want to shut it down. No, Joe Burrow will not be the number one overall pick. However, I'm just going to come out. I've got the heavy ammunition in my back pocket. We're just going to come out with it right away. The thing that I cannot help but think about when seeing the rise of Joe Burrow right now and the and yeah the meteoric rise that he is on i am seeing that it is well i'm not going to say it's exactly the same because this player had a lot of off the field things well on the field too but off the field things and personality things that played into him and part of that rise Um, but I look at Joe Burrow and I can't help but think about Baker Mayfield. And you may be thinking, Ricky, what are you talking about? They are two different quarterbacks. Baker was outspoken. Baker was cocky. Baker had the swagger putting the flag in on Ohio State, grabbing the nuts against Kansas. Joe Burrow ain't about that. Joe Burrow ain't that guy. He's a classy guy, a classy Southern gentleman. At LSU. I don't even know. Is he, he's, is he, is he from the South? Um, he's not even from the South. He's a, he's a Midwestern boy. Athens, Ohio. So 
I can't even call him a classy Southern gentleman. I guess he is by transplant, but no, it was his hometown's Athens, Ohio. He's a Midwesterner, just like me. Um, but all that aside, I can't help but think about Baker Mayfield. And to put it into perspective, you know, before I get into everything, Joe Burrow right now, let's just lay out the stat line so we got it. His stats, He right now he's at um, 2,484 passing yards. He has 29 touchdowns. Three INTs. That is phenomenal. He's also got a completion percentage of 79%. I talk about 60 being the magic line where, hey, if you're above 60, you're good. He's at 79%. He's almost at 80. He's 0.6 away from being at 80%. That is phenomenal. If he was taking a test on quarterbacking and completing passes, he'd be getting this close to getting an 80% B on that test. It's my teacher coming out in me. But you look at that to his year before, last year, his junior year, first year at LSU, he's about 400 yards behind what he had last year. Last year total, he had um, almost 2,900 passing yards he's already eclipsed the touchdown numbers only had 16 last year and he had five five interceptions all of last season and he was only completing 57.8 percent of his passes we have seen a jump in joe burrow this year and i know people the first thing they're gonna say but ricky the offense at lsu it's its own special thing and how's he gonna do outside of that offense Weren't we saying the same things about Baker Mayfield? Weren't we saying that, oh, it's the Lincoln-Riley offense? Away from Lincoln-Riley, I don't know if Baker is going to have the same success. I mean, Cleveland's not winning right now, but is Baker a bad quarterback right now? Did Baker not have a really good rookie year? So I want to use Baker Mayfield as the case study for why Joe Burrow can basically have legs when it comes to the race for the number one pick. And the reason why I say that is let's take a look at Baker Mayfield. Let's take a trip in the way back machine to go back to when Baker was in college. If we look at his stats, his senior year, he had 4,600, just over 4,600 passing yards, which Joe Burrow at this point, I mean, I don't know if he'll get to 4,600. It's a very different offense. It's not that air raid spread them out offense that Lincoln Riley runs. So I don't know if he's going to get that high. Um, But yet again, completing 70% of his passes, 43 touchdowns to six INTs, and every single one. The only difference is Baker Mayfield didn't have as big as a jump between junior to senior year, where if you look at yards, Yeah, that was kind of big, 3,900, almost um, 4,000 to 4,600. The completion percentage went down. He was actually better his junior year, 70.9 to 70.5. Touchdowns only went up by 3, 40 to 43. And interceptions only went down by 2, 8 to 6. Another thing that he did very well was get into the end zone on the ground. He had six rushing touchdowns his junior year, five rushing touchdowns his 
um, senior year. And with Joe Burrow, his rushing totals last year, he had about 400 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground. Very different Joe Burrow this year. Um, he's actually hasn't even eclipsed 100 yards. He's only had two rushing touchdowns where that's the thing I like. I'm going to save that. I'm going to get in. I'm going to finish this Baker thought first. Um, when it came to Baker Mayfield, I went back and looked at our big boards from the 2018 season. I looked at the first one. I looked at the last one. And on the first one, this was about December. Brandon had Baker at nine. So nine overall, nine out of 25 on his big board. I had Baker at 22. We were two vastly different people. Brandon was high. I was a little bit lower on Baker. By the end of the year, as we got closer to the draft, the 4.0 that we put out for the 2018 NFL draft, Brandon had fallen a little bit on Baker. He went from 9 to 15. He rose on mine. He went from 22 all the way up to where Brandon had him in number one, all the way up to number nine. And pardon me, there a little, little burp, little gas coming up out of my throat. But even that, even having him at nine at the end of the year still seemed kind of low because he was the number one overall pick. And I was one of the guys that I wouldn't take him number one. If I was the Browns, I would have taken Saquon. And then with the fourth overall pick they had, I would have taken my share at the quarterbacks. I didn't think Baker, I thought Baker was still going to be there. They could probably take him at four. They didn't have to take him at number one. Point is, they took Baker, and the rest is history. They got Baker Mayfield. They took Nick Chubb later, so I guess they got that running back um, quarterback thing that I was looking for for them in that draft. But even you look at Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper, the big, the big guns. You might be saying, well, Ricky, you're kind of a small wig. Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, they're the big guns. They're ESPN. In who did this one? Was it Todd McShay or was it Mel Kuyper? Let's see. It was Mel Kuyper. Did it way too early. In May, before the 28, well, it was a 2018, way too early, and it was done May of 2017, so this would have been, yeah, right before the 2018 NFL draft, Baker wasn't even in the top 25, was not even in the top 25, if we look at McShay's number one, Big board, our number one mock draft, pardon me, which was posted December of 2017. He had Baker going 19th overall to the Chargers at the time, but basically I'm looking at the number 13. Mel Kuyper on his 1.0 had Baker at 13. Yet again, these were both done in December, I think. Was Mel's done in January? Mel's was done in January, so they were a month apart. But basically... They had him in the teens area, 13 and 19. End of the draft, he rose all the way to one. And I know what you're saying. Ricky, why is Joe Burrow, why is it October? And we're talking about Joe Burrow then being number one. To me, it's because of what I said a little bit earlier. Baker only had a little bit of an increase and really was kind of like, Yes, his passing number, his yards were better. He had more touchdowns. But he was really completing the same amount of passes. Joe Burrow 
looks almost to me like a different quarterback production-wise. His production is way better this year than it was last year. And the better thing is it's efficient at 70, what, 79.4? Yeah, 79.4 completions. He's throwing 218 attempts this season, which let's put that in perspective of uh, how many quarterbacks are, what their attempts are. Let me see if I can pull up the attempts. The quarterback who has the most attempts this season is Anthony Gordon at Washington State. He has 347 attempts. His completion percentage is a 70.9. That's actually really good for 347 um, passes. At 318, Joe Burrow has a ton of guys. A ton of guys ahead of him. I'm not going to count them all. But like, just looking here, some of the more notable guys that are in this quarterback race that have more than him. Justin Herbert has 232. Justin Herbert's only completing 68% of his passes. Um, you also have Jacob Eason, another one people are throwing in to this quarterback race. 233. He's only completing seven or 67 percent of his passes Nate Stanley who is not in the first round debate but people like him as a late round quarterback he's got 336 62 percent um is his completion percentage and then let's see any of the other guys that are in the race no none of the others where's Tua Tua's only thrown 194 attempts and he's completing 74.7 so Tua is in the same boat as Joe Burrow. Not a lot of attempts, but he's completing them. And I I know what you're saying. Well, Ricky, they've got good teams, good game plans, good coaches, and they're good quarterbacks. Of course, they're going to have high percentages. But I feel like Joe Burrow's on the meteoric rise he's on right now because of how much of a gap there is between these year's stats already, what they could be at the end of the year, and last year's stats, like give it two games and Joe Burrow will probably break the amount of yards he had last year. He's already done it for touchdowns. He's got what, two more interceptions and he's even than last year. And the big thing that's different is his rushing. And that's where I almost got into it early. I'll get into it right now. The thing I like about Joe Burrow is I feel like the big thing this year that he's showing us is one of the things we harped on Lamar Jackson for is he's a runner, not a quarterback. And I'm not saying Joe Burrow was in that discussion, but we always look at these quarterbacks and their pocket awareness. Are they the guy that's going to stand there, stand there like Sam Darnold today in the Monday night game against the Patriots? There was a play, an interception that he threw back in the end zone um, where he threw it off his back foot. It was absolutely horrible. Sam, you're on my fantasy team. I love you to death, but it was a horrible throw. Good thing I didn't start you this week and I went with Phillip Rivers, but you're still my boy. I ain't going to drop you in that keeper league. I'm going to keep you because you're my rookie. Um, Well, my sophomore, but you know what I mean. My young gun um, at quarterback. But point being, It was a bad throw. And you look, he had a wide open lane. 
to the left. Instead of throwing off that back foot, could have stepped up, ran, got some yards from it. However, with most of these young quarterbacks, how much have you heard, oh, well, he gets a little frantic in the pocket and then scrambles out of it. I don't see that with Joe Burrow. However, what I do see and what this year kind of shows is last year relied on his legs, obviously, a lot more. The attempts that he had, let's see, let me pull up his attempts because I got rid of his um, stat page on my computer. Let's see, Joe Burrow. Let's go to stats here. Yeah, 128 attempts last year. So, like, he was obviously running the ball a lot last year. This year, only 39 attempts. He's not doing it as much. However, when I watch his film, the early film that we have, the thing that he does well is he can run. So it's like, hey, I'm going to stay here in the pocket. I'm going to first look to pass, but hey, I can use my legs. I can get into the end zone. I can do that. And in the NFL, that opens. We see all these RPOs, these run pass options to where he is going to, I think, fit like a glove in that system or in an RPO system because he's got the legs so he can hurt you with his legs. Is it going to be Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick type of hurt you with their legs? No, but he's got that ability. So you got to prepare for that. He can also throw it down the field. So it's like, he's the type of guy where he'll fake the handoff. Well, you got to keep the running back. You can't just leave him. Cause what if he's going to hand it off? And then it's like, okay, I got to trust his legs because he can run it, but he can also pass it as well. And some of his great throws, he can throw on the run. And the thing that I love is his strength of, there were a couple where he can do kind of, Carson Wentz did this in the Sunday night game where he can even roll out. He's a righty. So he can roll out to, what would that be? Yeah, he could roll out to his left and turn his body and throw on the run. That's really hard. I could never do that. I would always be like, hey, I got to run with my body so I can have that throw. I couldn't turn my body enough as a young quarterback. Obviously, why I never played in college, never got to play in the pros because I wasn't good enough. Um, But he can do that. And that's what I like. And I think that fits with what teams are trying to do in the NFL, the only thing is he's not in an offense that was like a Patrick Mahomes spread, a Baker Mayfield spread, a Kyler Murray spread offense. And I don't think that's going to hurt him, but it's a little bit different where he has the ability, but he's not going to be that guy that just huck it, chucks it 5,000 yards on a season. So here's the true question. Could he be the number one pick? Well, that becomes the debate of, is he better than Tua? And right now, if you look, I'm looking at Tankathon right now for this. On their big board, they got Joe Burrow, fourth overall, second best quarterback. Um, their top three is Tua, Joe Burrow, and then um, Justin Herbert out of the quarterbacks. If you look at their mock draft side, They've got the Bengals at one, going with Tua Tunga Viola. 
They got the Dolphins at two going with Joe Burrow. And for me, I feel like we are primed for another, like, there's a part of me that thinks this year for quarterbacks is going to be, let's say you, it's going to be if you took that 2000 and I got to look up the years. One of them's the 2018 um, draft class. Cause that was the one with um, Darnold and Rosen and Baker and Lamar. Um, got to look up the other one. Okay. So the two draft classes, I think that this one's going to start to emulate is it's going to have a little bit of that 2018 class, but also a little bit of that 2015 class. And when I say that, think back to 2015, there were two big quarterbacks. There was Jameis and there was Marcus Mariota. And how I feel is you're going to get a little bit of that 2018 because I think Tua and Joe are going to separate themselves. They're going to be at the top playing in the same conference, playing head to head. We're going to compare them a lot more, but Justin Herbert's still good. Jake Fromm is still good. East. Then you get to like the East and terror. Yeah. Like um, the East and territory, the Jalen hurts territory. Um, where Jalen Hurts could be another one that I think will rise as the season goes on because he's been really good this year as well. The flair from the 2015, though, is I think that the big two at the top, we are going to compare Tua and Joe and dissect them and compare them. Which one goes number one? Which one goes number two? And that's why could Joe Burrow be the number one pick? Yeah. I think he could. I think that he could have a same rise that Baker Mayfield had where we're looking. I know I'll be honest, my big board, I'm going to have him higher than I had Baker on my first one. Um, And Baker, we did that in December. I'm going to do my first big board in October this year. Um, I just, for me, I really like what I see from him. I think that He's not a quarterback that's going to go out there and razzle-dazzle spread offense, but he's got the arm. He's got the body strength. He can throw on the run. He can run the RPOs that I think that, like, that I see when we watch NFL football on Sundays. The only question is, our team's going to look at him and want to draft him over a Tua Tonga Viola. Kind of the same thing. We were looking at in 2018, it was Sam Darnold, number one, Sam Darnold, number one, Sam Darnold, number one, until we got close to the draft. And it was like, oh, well, the Browns are looking at Baker and they really fell in love with Baker. And then we're deciding, oh, well, Baker or Darnold, who would you take? Who would I take? And I think the same thing's going to happen here where we've been talking to a to a to a to a to a to a to where as we get close to the draft, I expected somebody Early on, I thought it would be Justin Herbert. I didn't expect Joe Burrow to kind of skyrocket and get the hype machine just going for him. But he has been, and he's been riding it. And I can't wait until that November 9th game. I'm going to fact check myself, uh, kind of uh, MVP, you're wrong. Uh, I'm taking that from kind of funny. Shout out to you, um, Greg, Tim, Nick, Andy. All you guys are kind of funny. I love your podcast. But... Going to fact check myself. I said that Tua will probably miss the LSU game. He's going to play. 
I pulled up an article. This is from, let's see, let's cite my sources. That would be really good, right? Um, of course, it's Fox News um, from Alabama. They say that um, Tua expects to play. Um, a quote that Terrell Lewis, the an Alabama linebacker, told The Athletic was, he said, I'll be back for LSU. I know how Tua is. It's something he's been through before. So I don't doubt the fact that he's a competitor. He's going to get right back, right back. He'll be fine. Um, Nick Saban added in his um, statement that Tua suffered a high ankle sprain um, against uh, Tennessee. This was on Sunday. He said this. Um, our, our physicians performed a successful tightrope procedure on his right ankle this morning. This is the same injury, but the opposite ankle that Tua injured last season. Tua will miss next week's game, so this week's game, against Arkansas. But we expect a full and speedy recovery. So kind of what they're thinking in Alabama. He'll miss the Arkansas game. Mac Jones is going to be the quarterback for that one. They have an off week before they play LSU. Hopefully he's back for that. They're, They're thinking that he'll be back for that LSU game. So right there, boom, we get number one versus number two. Um, and I don't think, did we see that? Did we see Mariota versus Winston? I We did. We did. It was in, that's right. It was in the college football playoff because Mariota won and then they went to play Ohio State and then Zeke went ahead and beat Marcus Mariota. Um, so yeah, we're going to get to see Tua and Joe Burrow go head to head because I was kind of talking to um, one of my um, co-teachers um, at the school I teach at, big college football fan, and I even mentioned, like, man, if Tua misses that game and Joe Burrow wins it, like, what's that going to mean for Joe Burrow's draft stock? But it looks like Tua will be playing that game. So the question I want to throw to you guys, I've talked enough. Um, if I'm going to answer it, could Joe Burrow be the number one pick? I think it is. I think we're already headed to it. It's going to be either number one Tua and number two Joe or number one Joe, number one Tua. I think that's where we're headed. They're going to be the top two quarterbacks that we talk about. Um, Justin Herbert will then be a third um, because I just think Oregon's being forgotten um, this year um, with the loss that they had early on. They're not really, in my mind, not having that national spark. So Justin Herbert, I think, will be the third one. But, I mean, I think Joe and Tua are going to be the two we talk about all the way up into the draft. Unless, like, a Jalen Hurts throws his hat, pun intended, because he plays for Oklahoma, into that discussion. But I want to know what you guys think. Could Joe Burrow be the number one pick? Am I crazy for bringing up this hype topic on the podcast? Let me know what you guys are thinking, obviously, down below in that comment section. But let's move into our last topic. The last thing I'm talking about here on the podcast before I get into it, make sure to give us a follow at twitch.tv backslash most valuable podcast. Um, Twitch is something eventually these podcasts that I'm doing are going to be live on Twitch. I got my OBS right in front of me. That's how I'm recording this. And when the podcasts go live, when we flip that button, I've got my OBS here that I'll be streaming instead of recording. And I've got the chat here. So obviously you guys will be watching, can talk to me while I'm doing the podcast. So if you bring something up, I can then kind of react to it and we can kind of have that discussion a little bit forward and more prevalent here 
on the podcast. So make sure twitch.tv backslash most of all podcast. You give us that follow. And if you have Amazon Prime, if you're not throwing that free sub at anyone, why don't you throw it at us? But what I'm doing here to end the podcast is I'm taking a look at a team in the NFL and who they could look at in the NFL draft. Did it with the Dolphins. People liked it. Uh, people liked it. People didn't like my opinions, but you guys watched it and the watch time was pretty significant on it. So, I mean, why not do it again? And last time I did it for the Dolphins, if you want to check it out, it's right up there. I apologize to Dolphins fans for forgetting offensive tackles, a big need of yours. I guess you got to protect that nice, shiny quarterback um, if you're going to keep Josh Rosen as your guy. Um, and you can take an offensive quarterback or offensive tackle. Yeah, an offensive quarterback, Ricky. They're all offensive quarterbacks. An offensive tackle with any of your first-round picks. But today, what I am doing is I'm taking a look at the Hotlanta Atlanta Falcons. The Hotlanta Atlanta? No, Hotlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons right now, the Monday night game between the Patriots and the Jets is over. So the top five picks in the NFL draft, if it started tonight, would be number one, the Cincinnati Bengals, number two, the Miami Dolphins, number three, the Washington Redskins, number four, the Hotlanta Falcons, and then number five, the New York Jets. And what I'm looking at when it comes to the Falcons is which prospects could they target if they end up with a first round pick? Because, I mean, if I would have yet again, I had this plan for last week. I ended up not being able to do it, obviously holding it off for this week. This is a team, A, I did not expect to be one in five right now. Two, I there was a point where I'm like, hey, I may have this discussion. This team turns it around. And we'll turn it around enough to where they're not a top five pick and then it's irrelevant. But then Matt Ryan goes down and Matt Ryan's injury. Like if he's missing significant games, then I mean, this team could get worse. And I mean, you look at their next few games, they play Seattle. Then they got the bye. Then coming out of the bye at New Orleans, at Carolina, Tampa, That'll be a tough one in the division, New Orleans, Carolina, like they shit. They have like straight one, two, three, four, five division games, five of their six division games right out of the bye. So things are not going to get easy for the Atlanta Falcons. This may be a topic that is prevalent all the way through the rest of this year. But right now they would be the fourth overall pick. And who could they target? To me, there's a couple prospects that I'm looking at. The first one I want to get out of the way because every time I've looked up the Atlanta or the yeah, the Atlanta Falcons. I almost said Atlanta Hawks. I was like, what? That's basketball. Um, Every time I've looked up the Atlanta Falcons, for some reason, why like Falcon fans, can you help me out here? Because obviously I'm just a Viking fan that's living in Chicago, um, so I'm far away from my finger on the pulse when it comes to the Falcons because I'm not a diehard Falcon fan like you guys are. Uh, My question to you is what's going on with these Matt Ryan trade rumors? Because it kind of seems to me like how I'm looking at it as an outsider to the fan base is 
it's kind of something of like, is the fan base, like are the fans bringing this up and they're hoping, Hey, if we kind of make enough noise, maybe the team will make a move. Is it something where the fan base, like I see the fan base is divided where there's some people writing articles that all oh, the um, Atlanta Falcons should trade Matt Ryan. But then there's other ones where it's like, no, we shouldn't trade Matt Ryan. Um, I want to know what you guys are thinking. Falcon fans on that one. Cause that one just perplexed me because like, you look at Matt Ryan's contract situation right now, and yes, there's a potential out after the 2021 year, so you get him for two more years after this, but other than that, he's locked down till 2024. He's locked down until he's 39, and is it a, he's going to get old thing? Is it a, I don't know. I'm asking you guys, what's with the trade rumors? Because I don't really get it. So I wanted to start there. Quarterback. Do they take a top five? Hell no, I'm not taking a quarterback if I'm the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan is fine in this situation. I am personally not looking to trade him. I'm not looking to take a quarterback up in here. If I went, I'm going to click full order right now. If I am Atlanta, if the draft were today... I would have the fourth overall pick. I would have the 35th overall pick. And then I would have the 68th overall pick. Those would be my top three. If I really wanted a quarterback, take one in a later round. Take a Nate Stanley. Like, I'm not saying he's the exact one, but he's the one I'm using because he's going to be a guy that's going to be there later. So if you want a quarterback, hey, I want a young quarterback to be behind Matt in case things go sour as the contract. Um gets older that's fine but you're not going to use it with your first overall pick so i just wanted to address that here i'm not looking for quarterback here in the top five for me there's kind of three uh, there's four positions that i would think about looking at and the first thing you got to do is right now where in the top five are you going to be Number one and number two, you kind of got your pick of the litter because number one, teams are going to be looking for quarterback, and I just said you're not going to draft one. Number two, the Bengals or Dolphins would probably go quarterback. Like the number one pick is most likely 99.9. I'm going to say I'm going to double back on that. If you're number one, I take Chase Young out of Ohio State, hands down. Um, number two, you could get the same thing because a team at number one is probably going to go quarterback. That's the first position though, that I look at is an edge rusher and chase young is the guy that I'm looking at. If I am the Atlanta Falcons, he is just on a tear this year for Ohio state. I mean, for his career, 31 tackles for loss. 10 and, 10, and, 10 and a half of them, if I can speak right, already this season. He's got a total of nine and a half sacks. He's one sack away from the most that he's like to tying last year, which was the most that he's had in his career. Dude is a freaking beast. And for me, if I'm looking for a pass rusher, hands down, that's the guy I'm looking at, Chase Young. And I mean, if I'm the Falcons, you can get him at one, you can get him at two, you can get him at three. Because how I, I mean, if you didn't listen to the Joe Burrow, if you're just coming in on YouTube, um, the Joe Burrow segment I did, 
I think quarterback is going to be one and two in the draft, unless it's a team like the Falcons that doesn't need a quarterback. So really, if you're one, two or three, Chase Young is who I'm going with, because like I'm looking at the team this year and your defensive ends, because the two guys that I would target are um, defensive ends in the here. Let me double check real quick. Yeah. Um, Defensive end. Uh, type of players you're looking you've got right now right now on the depth chart injuries could be a thing I know there's one that I'm going to bring up later on but I mean right now you look at it and it's like you've got Alan Bailey and then um, Takaris McKinley who um, you drafted a couple years ago you look at the sack number so far this year they are not too good your leading sack guy is Grady Jarrett, who has two. Then you have Vic Beasley, who has a sack and a half. You have Adrian Claiborne, who has one. And then you have Takaris McKinley, who has half a sack. All of those guys have played all seven games. So really, if my math, that's five sacks. That ain't good. You got to get more pressure at the quarterback. To me, there's two, two positions that are the most important in football the guy who throws the ball and the guy who gets after the guy who throws the ball. You have a guy who can throw the ball. Now get a guy who can get after that guy who can throw the football. You have a defensive coach and Dan Quinn. That's the number like that's the number one need. I think for this team is a pass rusher. And if you're one, two or three, you could get chase young. If you're four and five, if you're still looking pass rusher I think AJ Apenza or Apenza, I think that's how you say it. The kid out of Iowa, he's a prime number two. So for me, that's number one. I'm either going Chase or AJ, depending on like if I'm one, two, or three, it's Chase. If I'm four and five, you go with AJ out of Iowa and you lock down that pass rush. That is number one. Number two, I'm staying on the defensive side of the ball. Like to me, I feel like the offense for the Falcons and before I put my shoe in my mouth, this is a team that 12 points against Minnesota, 24 against the Eagles, 24, 10, 32, 33, 10. They've kind of been all over the place. The tens were um, Tennessee who their defense is pretty good. The Rams, their defense is pretty good. Minnesota, they had 12. Minnesota's defense is pretty good. Eagles defense, not good this year. 24 points. Indianapolis's defense is pretty good. It's not elite, though. Um, 24 points. Houston's defense, they let up a lot of points some games. That's why you get the 32. And then Arizona's defense was god-awful. The Falcons probably should have won that game or should have won that game. At Arizona, they lost 34-33, but they put up 33 points. To me, I'm sticking on the defensive side of the ball then because to me, the offense isn't the big problem because you've got the guys there. You just got to get them working. That's why the second guy that I would target. So number one and number two is a package, either Chase Young or AJ um, Appenzia um, out of Iowa. The other guy I'm looking at is Grant Delpit and I know some people may say Ricky top five may be a little bit of a reach for Grant. And the reason why I throw him out there 
is because right now at LSU, he is playing strong safety. And for the second year in a row, the Falcons, let me see. I remember you drafted him. I know you drafted him out of um, West Virginia. I just don't remember. Keanu Neal, um, what year he was drafted in. I got to fact check myself on that one. But for the second straight year, yeah, you drafted him in what, 2016? Yeah, fourth year in the pros. He's 24. And back-to-back, he's been injured. Last year, he was injured. This year, he's now injured. So, for me, that's kind of the second thing I look to is if, let's say, you're not going to go edge rusher, or let's say you don't get an edge rusher. Let's say someone shocks us and they don't go quarterback at one. And then before you at four, because I'll use where you are right now at four, let's say, let's say the Dolphins shock us. And they don't go quarterback. They go Chase Young. And then Washington says, well, if we don't get Chase Young, we got to get A.J. out of Iowa. Then if you're the Falcons, you're like, well, shit, we can't get an edge rusher because the next best edge rusher is probably either you've got um, Gross uh, Metos out of Penn State or Julian Akwara out of Notre Dame. Neither one of those two guys are top five caliber players. Um, so if you don't get Iowa, Ohio state, you're kind of shit out of luck when it comes to the edge rusher. That's why number two on my list and number third of player is that strong safety position, mainly because of injury. Like Keanu Neal's been injured two times in a row. You got to sure that up. Grant Delpit, I think is going to be a good player. He's showing signs of good play at LSU. Right now, they're one of the best teams in the country. Um, that one's pretty much a necessity of like, hey, if it's happened twice, odds are you're probably going to get injured again. Once injuries start to become a common thing, it's kind of a snowball effect that we see. So that's why I kind of look at Delpit. Falcon fans, let me know. Let me know what you think on that one. Do you believe that, hey, you know what? Keanu Neal, he can come back from this. We don't need to draft a strong safety. Or are you like on my boat where it's like, fuck it. He's been injured two times. If we can get Delpit and he can be our strong safety and we can move on from Keanu Neal, I'm not married to Keanu Neal. I want to know where you guys sit. Number three for me, it comes down to offensive tackle because right now, early on, like especially if you're so four, it'll be a debate because you'll probably be sitting there between edge rusher, safety, and now offensive tackle. But if you're five, it's probably going to be safety or offensive tackle. And if you want to go with somewhere on the offense, offensive, getting a guy like Andrew Thomas, he's probably the top five guy that you're going to get unless you get like a um, Tristan Weirfs, Weirfs, I think is his last name, how you pronounce it. Um, Offensive tackle out of Iowa. Um, Unless he starts rising, I'm leaning towards Andrew Thomas, though, that offensive tackle, because like you look at the numbers right now, Matt Ryan has been sacked 19 times this year. And you might sit there and go "Mm, 19 times. That's not that bad. But when you put it into perspective of guys who have been sacked more than him, let's see, one, two, three, four. There are six guys that have been sacked more than him. 
At 21, Deshaun Watson. At 23, you have Kyler Murray and Joe Flacco. Um, 24, you have Andy Dalton. And then at 25, both Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. So, like, you look at that and it's like, yeah, 19 don't look bad. But even the guy at, like, eight who's been sacked 18 times, Daniel Jones, 17 is where you get to, like, Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. So it's like 19 isn't terrible, but 19's not great because you look at the other side of it. Teddy Bridgewater, only 11 times. And I know it's like, Ricky, you're kind of being nitpicky here. It's only eight sacks. Tom Brady's only been sacked 10 times this year. Jacoby Brissett has only been sacked seven times this year. Um, I'm trying to look at guys that are like main starters still. Um, Sam Darnold missed a ton of games. So uh, Patrick Mahomes, before he missed, uh, before he's going to miss games, only eight sacks. Jimmy Garoppolo, only eight. Derek Carr, only eight. So, I mean, to me, you got to get that number down. Andrew Thomas could be a guy you look at to get those numbers down if you want to get less than 19 sacks for Matt Ryan. And then the last one, I don't even think, like, this is so far of a wild card one. Like, this is the wild card pick that I throw out there, but it's based on pure talent, and that's Jerry Judy, because I've got two defensive, now two offensive in mind. Up till this point, there's a reason why you've been going with what I've been saying. Edge rusher, you have five total sacks. You need to get after the quarterback. Safety, Keanu Neal, he's been injured now. This is his second year. You might want to draft a guy who can take over for him because it might just snowball and become a thing. Offensive tackle, oh, well, we've given up 19 sacks this year. We might want to bring that down. This one is purely just a let's add some strength to the receiving core. And I say a wild card because you don't like I I don't think you necessarily need it. But it wouldn't hurt because like I look at it and also the funny (laughs) the funny thing about it is that. Jerry Judy would then be your third third Alabama wide receiver um, in that wide receiver core. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy. But I look at it and it's like, if you look at the depth chart for the Falcons right now, your top three receivers are, and I'm talking wide receivers, of course. You got uh, Austin Hooper, who's um, your tight end, who Matt Ryan really likes throwing to. But you got Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley, that's your main four, or your main three. Your fourth would be Justin Hardy. And if you look at the stats this year for the receiving, the mo- most of the targets are going towards Julio Jones. They should. He's your best receiving target out there. But he's only got 500, and I should say he's only got, he's pretty good, 560 yards through seven games. Then the guy getting the second most targets is who I mentioned, Austin Hooper, the tight end. Other than that, like, I mean, you look at it and it's like Julio Jones, The out of the 62 targets, he's, he's caught 40 of those passes. Then Austin Hooper has caught 46 of the 55 that Matt Ryan has thrown his way. 
Whereas you look at Calvin Ridley and Muhammad Sanu, and Calvin Ridley has only caught 29 of the 44, and Muhammad Sanu's only caught 33 of the 42 that he is getting. And after that, Justin Hardy's only gotten 10 targets. Yeah, he's caught an eight of those 10, but he's only got 10 targets to where Justin, or Justin Judy, Jerry Judy could be a guy you look at and you go, hey, you know what? Let's look like Muhammad Sanu. Obviously, he is now the fourth on the targets list. Calvin Ridley, after year two, let's evaluate him. Like, is he like, do we expect him to make the jump into second target guy? Or is that Austin Hooper? Jerry Judy, also a very different receiver than Calvin Ridley, I think has a little bit more explosiveness than Calvin Ridley. I don't think it would be a bad pick to go with Jerry Judy if you have a top five. Now, if you're at four where you're at now, that's where I throw the wild card situation into things. But if you're sitting there at five, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad pick in my mind. It would add some juice to Matt Ryan and that receiving core. But if I had to put it down of like, okay, this is for sure what I'm going to do, what the Falcons need to do, top five, not top five, wherever they end up, the pecking order for me of their needs is they got to get a pass rush. They got to find some more protection for um, Matt Ryan. They need to find someone that can step in and fill the role for Keanu Neal if he gets injured again or can phase out if they're like, hey, you know what? We don't want to deal with these injury concerns anymore. And then I'd say number four is boosting up that wide receiver core because, like, I didn't even mention the contracts. You look at the contracts, obviously, Julio Jones is locked down. After next year, Mohamed Sanu's a um, unrestricted free agent, and he's going to be, what, 32 when he's a free agent after 2020. You also have just you also have Justin Hardy, who's a free agent after this year. Like I said, a non-factor, though, because he's only had 10 targets and eight catches through seven games. And then you have Calvin Ridley, who has two more years and a club option left with the team. I think that that would be a really good Austin Hooper also is if you're going to re-sign him, he's going to be up this offseason as well. So I kind of look at that. Let me take a look really quick at tight ends. Could that be something that they not top five? I'm not saying top five. Yeah, definitely not top five, but there's definitely some guys, especially I've been seeing a lot about Jared um, Pinckney from Vanderbilt kind of rising up um, some boards. So top five picks, like I'm saying, if you're sitting there at four, I'll say AJ Apenta is the first guy I look at only because I think Chase Young is off the board by that point. Number two, I'm going to go with Grant Delpit. Number three, Andrew Thomas. And then number four, Jerry Judy. Those are kind of the big four. If I had an Atlanta Falcons big board that I was coming up with for the fourth overall pick where you guys sit right now. But Falcon fans, let me know, obviously, what you guys think down below in that comment section. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I on my rocker, off my rocker? You guys have your finger on the pulse, obviously. So let me know what you guys are thinking down below. 
And that's going to do it for the Primetime Podcast this week. Thank you guys for tuning in, listening on podcast services around the world. We're hoping to get the podcast sooner or later on Spotify, still in contact with them um, to figure out how we can get that done since the RSS feed is through Blog Talk Radio. But I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. Make sure to support us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. You can join the Discord server, join guys like Sam, Pat, Jake, John, Demon King. Um, Demon King, I don't know your real name. Um, Demon King, um, all of our other patrons like Batalo. Um, I'm trying to think in there. Giannis is in there. I'm thinking of a username there because I don't know your first name. Um, retro from overseas across the Pacific pond over in Australia. We got a really cool group there in the discord group. Only a dollar gets you into that discord group each and every month, $5. You get to ask us questions for the podcast, kind of propose some topics that we talk about. And then the $10 tier, the gold tier, you get to come on a podcast of your choosing and you get to talk about the topic you would like to talk about. Make sure to also follow us, twitch.tv backslash most fellow podcast, and follow me on Twitter at Ricky Widmer. Going to be dropping that big board hopefully this week. That's the first place I'm going to put it when it is up on my Twitter at Ricky Widmer. So I'm going to sign off. Thank you guys for either watching on YouTube, listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.